You're listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. Culture Lights and welcome to episode 29 of Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is Richo and I've taken control this week. That's right, Dave is no longer in control. With me are my... He's out of control. That's right. (laughs) Richo controls the horizontal and And the the vertical. vertical. (laughs) With me are my NCP indentured servants, David. Hello. Crystal. Hello. And Luke. I'm Batman Wild. I'm scared. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Richo is in control because I feel awful. Uh, the flu has hit. So uh, Richard has taken, taken control of the mic. That's right. And this will, of course, therefore be the greatest episode of Nerd Culture Podcast you've ever heard. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but for those of you who don't know, Nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture-related film book and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. And that's going to be my opinion this week because I'm in charge and so therefore only the things that I say count. <laughs> you realise Luke's still here. Yeah, I know, but I'm going to channel a bit of the my inner Luke as well this week. <laughs> Poor Luke's also unwell, if, you, yes. if anybody just noticed from that, that quite, quite horrific laugh. <laughs> that's yes. right. So, you know, if I end up you know dying halfway through the... Well, I'm doped up on the codules. Do you want to... You want some codules? No. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, cool. Just push your drugs. <laughs> I've actually uh, secretly ensured that both of these guys have gotten sick so I could take control because, you know, I need to get my power kick wherever I can. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway. It was such a small life. <laughs> Back to the spiel. Not only do we have the podcast, but we also have our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com which features additional content not found on the podcast itself. So check it out. So this episode, we're introducing a new segment called Waiting for Trade. We'll each pick a trade paperback and we'll do a quick five-minute review on the trade paperback we've chosen. So we hope you like it. They're still trying to convince me. (laughs) I just learned, as we mentioned that we review comics, and uh, it wasn't until we did the the pulp revisit Mm. with the four Watchmen and stuff that I thought went quite well that you know, we could do some so, quick, some concise uh, comic reviews, and uh, Richo came up with the name "Waiting for Trade," and yep. and here we go. Hopefully, you like it. Yeah, and uh, if you do, let us know. But first up, Popcorn Junkie, where we'll be looking at the Dark Knight Rises. But uh, before we get into that, I just want to start off by saying just uh, all the NCP crew's hearts go out to the families of the people involved in the shooting. In Aurora, Colorado, uh, I'm not going to mention the man's name because the scumbag coward doesn't need he deserve his name to be mentioned. But uh, that man uh, walked into a sc- um, midnight screen of the Dark Knight Rises and uh, murdered in cold blood uh, 12 people, uh, including a six-year-old girl. So uh, it's an absolute disgrace, and um, I, obviously we can't uh, fathom the pain that the families are going through, but. Uh, our hearts are with them. Mm-hmm. 
So, The Dark Knight Rises is the third movie in Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, um, with Nolan and his brother Jonathan coming back as screenwriters, and David Goyer once again pitching in on the story. Um, it sees the return of Christian Bale as Batman, Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox, and Michael Caine as Alfred. Also added to the cast for this movie is Tom Hardy as the villain Bane, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as police officer John Blake, uh, Anne Hathaway as Selena Kyle, and Marianne Cotillard as Miranda Tate. And interestingly enough, uh, one-time 80s superstar Matthew Modine <laughs> has uh, a minor appearance as uh, a police officer Foley, um, and Australia's own Ben Mendelsohn. On your Ben. Uh, also gets a, a role as uh, Daggett, uh, businessman. And of course, how can we forget Nestor Carbonell, Batman well himself, <laughs> returning as the mayor of Gotham. That's a pretty sterling cast. And mm. uh, I've got to tell you, I, I, I cannot find fault with anybody. I, mean, mm. I, I think they all did excellent jobs. Yeah. Um, um, especially Michael Caine, who just knocks it out of the park. He's become the definitive Alfred, I think. Even oh, yeah. even in Batman Begins, everyone he is was the because he's the heart of the story. He's the he's Bruce's sort of moral and ethical centre. He's the one who tries to ground him and give him advice. In two, actually, thought found some of his dialogue a bit pat. I mean, so, you know, it's like some people just want to see the world burn and all sort of stuff. But yeah, it's a bit over the top. But, but that's the dialogue. When he makes that work. Well, it, it, he kind of makes it work. Mm. Is it being three? He just he has two standout scenes for me. Mm. The bit where he, he reveals the truth about Rachel, the, Rachel and the letter, mm. which I thought was just amazing, mm. um, and the bit at the end where yeah. he, he thinks he is, where he's oh, you know, I failed you. And it's, mm. it's, I mean, he's an actor's actor, and mm. it's, it just blew me away. And it's, I actually and, think I mean, I hate people third... the praise on Michael, but everybody mm. is just does it a way amazing I, job. I actually think there's a third moment for him when he actually when he's talking to Bruce early on about um, how each year he goes to yeah. the mm. cafe. Yep. and uh, hopes that one day he'll see Bruce there. I think that's also quite a moving moment yeah. and really really does sum up Alfred mm. as a character. But um, I just actually want to give credit to Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Mm. There was a lot of online, let's Fan, call it debate. Fanboy debate. Yes, fanboy debate about how terrible her casting was and about how she was going mm. to ruin the film and so on and so forth. Interestingly enough, it was very similar to what was said about uh, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger playing mm. the Joker. I thought Anne Hathaway did an excellent job here. Yeah, you know I say? I say, in your face, fair boys, because she did a great job and it was very tastefully done. I, I especially like how the uh, the ears weren't actually ears, but they looked yeah. like ears, yeah. the, the yeah. visor thing. And I liked the, the, the suit. It wasn't the comic book suit. <laughs> <laughs> it was the skin-tight leather suit, but it wasn't... Yeah, but you expect that for, for Cat, Catwoman. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. in your face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, it certainly wasn't the Hel- Halle Berry version of the costume, for well, that's, example. That's the extreme example. <laughs> Cast is pretty exemplary. There's not re- there's not one bad performance. It is interesting, though, that in terms of Gary Oldman, he's clearly done this after Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, because early on, um, his accent is still very much sounding... has that Alec Guinness twinge that he has as I didn't notice the Smiley. change of accent, actually. Yeah, I, I thought it was mainly because he was just old and tired at the start and sort of... And then reinvigorated, reinvigorated about halfway when, through. I that, 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 returns, go, yeah. that could be it as well. But I just thought, oh, hang on, he's just come off, you know, mm. the other great performance that he's put yeah. in this year, and it's he hasn't had time yet to um, get the old Jim Gordon 
voice back. It was not a spoiler. I talking about, I talking about Jim Cornish. It's, it's, I like the fact that at the start of the film, he's, he's just old and feeble and just exhausted and he's just, he's just done. And then he becomes an action star at the end of it, <laughs> climbing on the truck, getting inside the truck. Well, he survives the truck's crash. I mean, seriously, come on. Talk, talk about voices. What about Tom Hardy's Bane voice? I thought Tom Hardy's Bane voice is fantastic. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. I thought um, he sounded like Sean Connery. No, I actually <laughs> thought, and there's nothing wrong with that. I actually thought he sounded like um, Liam Ra's Neeson. al Ghul, like right. Liam Neeson in the first movie, and I think that was actually deliberate. I do, I, I do, I do I appreciate the fact that they choice. enhanced it, because mm. in the <laughs> first trailer, you can still barely hear him in this, but he's a little bit more... Um... Yeah, but that's more because of the soundtrack in the background now. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, uh, no, I thought, I thought it was brilliant. Mm. And, uh, I just hand on every word he said. Mm. Absolutely, and he was such a great presence in yeah. this film. Yeah. Like, he really just did dominate yeah. every scene he was in. Not quite, not quite Heath Ledger style um, in the second film, but certainly... Yeah, he really was just an amazing presence. Well, he had to do a lot of eye acting. Yeah, yeah, very much so, and body language. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. yeah well, he dominated out of just pure presence. presence. Where, yeah. Exactly. Where Heath Ledger dominated just out of what's he going to do next? And yeah. He was just, he was just blown mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. So. so, yeah, so this is uh, basically the concluding chapter in Nolan's take on Batman. It's been eight years since the last movie, and uh, Batman has retired. Gotham has actually reached... Kind of a state of almost peace. Now, crime has dropped down to record low levels and things are looking pretty good. Uh, Batman's become a bit of a recluse, though, mm. living in his mansion all alone and limping a lot. With the arrival of Bane uh, into Gotham City, suddenly Batman needs to return to fighting crime because Bane comes with the huge, massive plan to basically destroy the entire city. To bring it to its knees. Yes, this actually ties into... Uh, uh, Ra's al Ghul's plan mm. from the first movie and uh, we learn that Bane is actually a former member of the League um, who was excommunicated for being too insane and violent which is really saying something <laughs> okay at a little bit over two and a half hours this is the longest of the Batman films and honestly I think it suffers a little bit from being a little bit, just a little bit from being yeah. far too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, um, I agree, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that the first hour, nothing really happens. You've got some cool sequences with Bane, um, with the. Yeah, you think that was the, cool? What? You've got the setup. For actually, Bane. actually, the, the the bit at the start, the plane bit, mm. I actually thought it was the worst bit in the film. There's no need for this. But no, 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 no. It was like the Hong Kong sequence in the second film. It's like you just don't need to see this. But crap. the sequence, the sequence where he's got Gordon in the sewer. That was awesome. That was a good scene. Yeah. My my problem is that what they get to be in the back room, which is Batman's return. Yeah. That should have that should have opened the film. Yeah. You know, Batman yeah. should have been foiling. You know, it should have opened with Bane attempting to steal, attempting to break down the stock exchange and steal yeah. all the money. Yeah. Batman should have tried to foil it but gets caught up with the police himself. Well, you still needed some sort of idea that he's been retired for eight years. Maybe not an hour's worth, but... Yeah, <laughs> I don't think... I, don't, I wouldn't have done that. I would have you just you could him... have condensed the first hour into, into five, ten minutes. I agree. I think he needed some sort of... He's been out of action for eight years and he hasn't yeah. really done anything. Because otherwise, otherwise um, Blake coming to sort of convince him wouldn't make no sense. True. Well, there's, but, there's, then, but then an hour, an hour to do it just wasn't... Well, for, for me, there's, I think, two big problems with the first hour of the film. One, 
it's not Batman's story. Mm. It's yeah. it's the John Blake show. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, featuring a couple of appearances by Batman. Mm. But it's it's really that that entire first, not by Bruce Wayne. Sorry, by Bruce Wayne. That entire first hour is effectively Joseph Gordon Levitt's movie. Yes, <laughs> there's um, nothing wrong with that. He's Look, I, I, now there is like a role then. The film's called Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, it's about when, when the focus isn't on not called that guy Bruce Wayne. The focus isn't on Bruce Wayne or Batman mm. for the first hour of the film. Yeah, um, which actually then leads me to what I think is the second biggest problem. Um, there are two potential love interests in the film, mm. and two two key uh, female characters. I don't think they build up the relationships mm-hmm. between Bruce Wayne and either of them strongly enough in that first hour. For then what happens later on in the film mm. to have greater impact. So it's like, yeah, it's like they've wasted this hour when they really could have been establishing these key relationships that are pivotal to the story later on. Mm. And I think they just, they, they wasted a little bit too much by kind of focusing a bit too much on Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, I was just going to say, there's nothing wrong with that if the movie was about his character. Exactly right, That's exactly true. right. Yeah, um, right. And, and to be fair, there's a point at the end of the movie which um does bring home what i think the point that nolan has been trying to make about batman basically from the first film yeah without without spoiling anything and in order to to do that you do need to set joseph gordon levitt up a little bit but i don't think they should have done it at the expense of, of bruce Black. wayne's character because yeah. he yeah. is the totally key character of the film. Totally and that's that's the, i mean that's the problem i have with dark knight which is this whole trilogy is meant to be not focusing on the villains or the supporting cast so much but treating batman as the interesting character, which Batman Begins does very well. Dark Knight doesn't do it quite so much. And given that everyone was touting this as, you know, Batman's finest moment, I would actually like to see Batman do something. In that first hour. Particularly in that, in that first yeah. hour. Um, I, given that the nature of the story is that this is about Batman healing himself, the fall should have come a lot sooner. The preceding story should have been about Batman actually having to conquer not just the... The, um, the wall he's got to climb, but the, um, the prison itself in an attempt to re-establish who he is, mm. if that makes sense. I totally agree with you. And there's a moment where, when he does get out of the prison, I actually thought, oh, cool, now we're going to... We're going to see Bruce do what he does best. I, I well, knew he was going to be in the pit at one point because of the trailers and because of the yeah. stuff I've seen. I actually mm. expected... I expected him to become Batman, fight Bane, get stuffed up, mm. and be... Th- put into the prison within the first 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah. I thought too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not saying I'm disappointed that it didn't happen that way, because mm. I mean, I'm, that's, that's fine. That's mm. not, I didn't write the movie. Yeah. Having said that, once Bane starts blowing stuff up, yeah. and for anybody that's seen the trailer, um, that pretty much starts with the destruction of the, of the gridiron field. Yeah. I think from that point, the film really picks up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, no, I disagree. You know, to one point I thought... Oh my god, there's still an hour to go. If I was at home, I'd be leaving the room right now and going off to bed. <laughs> <laughs> See, I thought, I must admit, I, I liked the, the prison stuff that they did. Yeah. Um, I didn't that say actually I didn't occurs, like it. <laughs> that actually occurs sort of well, you during... you did just kind of say you didn't like it. No, no. Uh, that, 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 was, uh, some of the, that was some of the parts that I found kind of interesting, but for the most part, I was bored mm. up until... Yeah. And there, there, there was a point, as I was saying, there was a point in the movie where he comes back and from then on I'm not bored anymore right well I thought from, from the breaking of the bat which I actually think should have could have been filmed a bit better than it was mm. like it, I think it wasn't really quite as 
impactful as it could well, have Nolan's been. Nolan's not a fight director. No, he's not a he fight just, director. He, just, he can't do the combat. No. Just, let's, let's, but, but let's, just, let's just put it down on the table. We're no, just, he can't. The way it's, it's a little bit better, in fact, that you can actually see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's not the quick cutting that he does in Unlike the, Dark Knight and the Batman. shocking yeah. Batman Begins sequence fight. on the train where you're yeah. like, what is yeah. going on? Yeah. So but there were a couple of sequences I found hard to tell what was going on. Yeah, that's just that's just the way Nolan yeah. does it. No. Um, but I think but what um, Richard was referring to is the fact that when that moment happens, it's, it's, as, as, it's uh, it, it, they just dump his body. They just dump him. Yeah. It, and then what could there should have been a, you know, I, I wanted a, a, a reaction shot on on Batman at that point. You know, a well, realization of say, I've been beaten or something. Yeah, yeah. Just something to say, oh my god, Batman has been beaten. Yeah. This this is like. This should be huge, you know, and it's just kind of done, and then we move on, you know. Whereas I think a little bit more impact would have worked for that. Do you think uh, he was maybe making a point by not having an impact there? Um, maybe. maybe. I, I actually, but... I actually would have preferred if he was being out, up, you know, up above ground in front of people. Hmm. But you know, yeah. but either way, I mean, I was, I was cool with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think that that's probably when the story does actually really start for me. Yeah, and then when it starts to happen, jeez. When it starts to happen, <laughs> it's awesome stuff. Um, mm. I want to give a bit of a quick shout out here too to um, Wally Fister and his cinematography. Mm. The film looked magnificent. Yes, mm. it was just a beautifully shot movie. Yes. Um, yeah, as, I, as much as I disliked the opening sequence with the planes, at least it looked beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And um, also to Hans Zimmer's soundtrack. Yep. I actually find Zimmer can be a bit boring at times mm. yeah. with his soundtracks. They yep. could just be kind of background noise. So. Um, but this yeah. soundtrack was fantastic. Oh, this, I, I think, was, the best he's produced on the Batman films to date, yeah. and certainly one of the best he's produced overall. Just, uh, just one minor bugbear, bugbear for me is, is the bit with the stock exchange, which I thought was cool. But it starts with them sneaking their way in, essentially, yeah. until yeah. Bane has to take his helmet off. Um, and yet, then when they go to leave the stock exchange, they now suddenly got motorcycles. Where did these motorbikes come from? They were inside the building. How? That's a good point. <laughs> I'm not. Really it, looked, it looked cool when they left, but <laughs> how are they in the stock exchange building? It just needed a, a thirty second setup. But, but, anyway, like probably, I said, probably might, not even that. Probably five been. seconds yeah. of truck pulls up, motorcycles coming yeah. out or something. Yeah, or somebody uh, just point. somebody yeah, just saying point. something. Let's get to the bikes that we hid three <laughs> weeks ago or something. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Moving on. Um, I, I just wanted to say that. Uh, Although it's uh, it was a, it was over the top, you expect a, a comic book movie to be over the top. Uh, um, I found, uh, for instance, the where Bruce Wayne is healing. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a, it was a little far fetched, but the way it was done and the, the amount of sort of time it took was much more believable than the uh, cesarean <laughs> Prometheus. Yeah, yeah the, the Prometheus. Uh, <laughs> it's within minutes. At least Bruce takes three months to heal. So the, in this movie, <laughs> I was able to su- su- suspend belief uh, well, and yeah, it worked for me. I do like that he's at least had it up there. It's like you, you don't come down until you stand. <laughs> Seriously, well, but you're the worst like, doctor ever. <laughs> when, he, when he does go up the thing and falls off, I'm thinking. Wouldn't that just screw his back up even I know, more? yeah, when he first falls from the the, the wall and it snaps to the rope. When they show the flashback nah, of the prisoner, the prisoner doing it, yeah. I was like, that guy's dead. Yeah. He's snapped spine. He's, he's, he's pulled a Gwen Stacy, you know what I mean? He's gone. Mm. Whereas then when Bruce does it later on, it's like, hey, whatever, I'll try again tomorrow. It's like, <laughs> seriously? Yes. Yeah, so well, yeah, part of your spine was out of your, was out of your back. 
But he was in prison for three months, so he might yeah. not have tried tomorrow. It might have actually been. <laughs> yeah. there, there is kind of a like I said, loss, of, loss of time aspect there. It, it wasn't Prometheus style, so I'm cool with it. Right. Well, let's do ratings. I actually think we should do two ratings here. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. Yeah. No, no, just quickly, the rating for the film, and then just very for briefly, how well has Nolan done in creating uh, the yeah, my, trilogy? My, my comment was going to be trilogy-related. Yeah. So. I'll, 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 I'll give both. I mean, Dark Knight Rises, I think, thought was the ultimate end to Bruce Wayne's story. Mm. Not necessarily Batman's story, because you have the end sequence, which I obviously don't want to talk about to give anything away, but this um, Bruce Wayne's story comes to an end in a satisfying and believable way, mm. and uh, I just thought it was magnificent. Um, in terms of the actual overall story, yeah, we've already talked about the first hour and stuff, but even that, that was done so well that even though I thought it was out of place for the whole story, it still didn't drag the film down for me. So it was still better than, you know, efforts by other people. So um, I'll give, I'm, I'm going to give uh, Dark Knight Rises four out of five flukes. Um, there's only just a, a couple of things that sort of put me off, but four out of five I thought was... Although I do need to point out that I was doped out of my brain on cultures at the time, so some things in the film might have happened that uh, didn't really happen or just in my head, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was, I was, uh, I was struggling, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I'm glad I got to see it. So uh, yeah, so four out of five. And in terms of the trilogy itself, um, he's done. Nolan's done exactly what he's out to do, and uh, he's reinvented Batman for uh, to to exist in in real in lo- real life. I mean, if if Batman could exist in real life, this is how he would be. I mean, the trilogy. It's. I mean, yeah, it's got its it's got its ups and downs, and just like every every every, uh, every set of films will have, but. He's, it's one of those rare examples where the subsequent, for me, the subsequent films are better than, it gets better as it goes along. And uh, I just, it's a magnificent achievement and it should be celebrated. And I'll give the, the trilogy itself four out of five. Well, okay, I'll start off with The Dark Knight Rises. As is no surprise to any of our um, listeners, I am a massive fan of, of, um, of the Dark Knight, um, and so this film is sort of like one of the highlights of the year for me because you know seeing my 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 hero, my favorite character, um, on the big screen, and I've got to say I was a little disappointed, um, mainly because Batman himself doesn't get um, isn't the focus of the story as much as he should be. For me, at the first I did drag it down, so I'll give the um, the film three loops. The trilogy, however, I do agree with Dave on that as a whole. It is pretty, it is pretty impressive. The first film, Batman Begins, that neither Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises have topped Batman Begins in my opinion. So I'll give the trilogy four looks. I, I liked how the Dark Knight Rises wasn't just the Davis movie. It actually, the specific well, it actually like references him rising in a very literal way. My biggest bugbear with the movie was that it was far, far too long. As in case you didn't pick up on that before, <laughs> uh, I, I did like it better than the the middle one. I actually don't remember seeing the first one, so I can't give you my opinion on the whole trilogy. I'd give this one three and a half. I would have given it four if it wasn't so incredibly long. Um, I'm not the biggest Batman fan in the world. I'm much more looking forward to the Superman movie, so if that disappoints, I'll be crying or leaving tears. Yeah, so uh, just just the film score for me, just as three and a half. Yeah, I also give uh, this film three and a half, basically for the reasons pretty much everyone has stated. 
uh, if the first hour had been tighter or had been a greater focus on uh, developing the characters, the relationships, that sort of thing, um, it would have ranked higher. But uh, certainly, as I said, I, I loved it from the time that Bane starts blowing Gotham up onwards. I thought it was a, a hell of a ride. As far as the trilogy on a whole goes, there were there are good and bad elements of it. Um, but what I love more than anything else about what Nolan has done here is that by investing a lot of work in developing character hmm. and creating a character arc across the three, three films, and then by employing an amazing group of actors across all three films to really you know to deliver these this great character story and to deliver these wonderful scripts that they've written i think they've actually elevated uh superhero films to a whole other level with this and certainly it probably helps that you know we've just come off on watching uh amazing spider-man which fails to do everything that oh, batman actually achieves that reminds me i just wanted to put a plea out there um Please don't reboot this and, and, and do a spot. <laughs> yeah, you know they, they will. They, are. they, they announced it <laughs> after Dark Knight. Yeah. No! Do and not I, want! And I can't imagine how that's even going to work now. But yeah, so so yeah, so yeah, actually really taking the time to invest in character and really um, they have transcended the standard for superhero films mm. and I think established a new standard. I really hope that uh, you know the other film makers working on these superhero characters can actually follow suit they won't if spider-man's any indication no but i think they were trying with spider-man they just failed so um yeah so overall i would give the trilogy four lukes as well so that was the dark knight rises thanks everybody coming up next waiting for trade our new segment Waiting for Trade, our new comic-based segment. Uh, I'm very excited. All, all of us here love comics, except maybe for <laughs> Crystal. <laughs> but us three guys especially. So this is actually going to be uh, mainly Luke, myself, and Richo. Um, and if Crystal wants to jump in every now and again, by all means, she can. Basically, it's mainly going to focus on, uh, as the title suggests, a trade paperback, which is so essentially a storyline. Um, and just and it could be old, new... Whatever the case may be. So we're going to start off with Luke. Um, okay, I've chosen uh, the first volume of Astro City, um, Life in the Big City, by Kurt Busiek, Brent Anderson, and Alex Ross. Um, this was originally published as a six-issue miniseries back in the late 90s. And basically what Kurt Busiek does here is he creates an entirely new superhero universe. But instead of focusing on the cliched um, archetypes, he uses those archetypes to... Um, make certain establishment points but he actually looks at what else is going on in the universe that he's created so for instance one of the story the second issue is about um, uh, a news journal uh, an editor of a newspaper talking to a young and up, upcoming hotshot what it was like for him having to report on the superheroes like the Silver Agent back in the day another issue later on issue four is all about uh, a lady who lives up on what is seen as the um, one of the darker and nastier points of Astro City called Shadow Hill, and making the daily commute from the dark side of Astro City to you know the light side of Astro City to, to where she goes to work and the struggles she has with living in a nasty place where everyone ha makes assumptions about who she is and where she comes from, but mm. then also having to go to Astro the, City itself, the wrong side of the tracks, um, <laughs> where 
villains like the Slamburger, and I love that name, Slamburger attack on a, a regular a regular basis, and that's one of the the joys of the series. It's it's not about the usual thing. It's trying to do, it's trying to tell the other stories that are going on in the superhero universes per se by focusing on um, man on the street characters and um, the whatnot. And I absolutely love, particularly the first, and I've reread Astro City recently, and I particularly love the first book because I think it's such a great introduction. Yeah. Um, but it is also a great celebration of what makes superheroes such a such a, a marvelous creation and concept um, by not fo- always focusing on the superheroes. And when it does, it doesn't focus on the action part of superheroes. It focuses on their characters and what they do outside of the fights. It's one of the first series to actually do that. Yeah. yeah. Focus on the, you know, even, them as people. Mm. Even when it's telling big, epic stories, it's telling them from the perspective of a single character. And every issue is really a single character's mm. story. Mm. And whether it's a big story or a small story, it is all driven around what that character is experiencing. Mm. And more importantly, what they're feeling and how they're reacting to what, what's going on and what mm. they're seeing. And So does Volume yeah. 1 have the zero issue? No. Uh, no, that's in the zero issue was published in Confessions, Confessions. Um, which is the third volume, right. um, which is brilliant. Yes, yeah, it's one of the most amazing stories I've ever read. And it's it's in, you know if you're a comic book reader, there there is still familiar stuff to latch onto. Mm. Um, so, for instance, Samaritan, who proudly flies on the cover of my copy, um, is quite clearly the Superman archetype. Yeah, but at the same time, you don't have to have read Superman mm. to you know, to feel find a connection. The Kurt Busiek does a really good job of telling you why he's a good character. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I've actually led... Great choice. Yeah, I've, give, I've given um, Astro City stories to people who aren't comic readers mm. at all. Yeah. And what they find is that whilst they can't necessarily relate to the superhero aspects of the story, they find the characters themselves so incredibly relatable that they still enjoyed reading those stories. And that's, I think, shows just what a great series it is. Yeah. That's one of the things I want to get from, from the segment is just just comic stories that people may not have heard of mm. before, haven't read before, and yeah. think maybe want to pick up. And mm-hmm. just, you cannot go wrong with Astro City Volume no. 1. You, no. just can't, you just can't do it. It's just no. Or Astro City in general. Yeah. Certainly, Life in the Big City is a, is a good jumping on point. Yeah. Um, and still widely available and just republished. And not just for um, Astro City, again. a great jumping on point just to experience superhero stories mm. in general. Cool. So, thank you very much, Luke. Very cool. Richard. I chose a very, very large book. I chose Teen Titans Omnibus, uh, New Teen Titans Omnibus Volume 2, which is a reprint of the seminal 1980s Marv Wolfman, George Perez um, series that actually was, at the time, one of the few success stories coming out of DC and really reshaped the nature of the way DC approached storytelling. Um, It brought a very Marvel touch um, to DC's writing, but... um, Really, uh, whilst the first volume was very good, and there are some amazing issues in that, um, the, the reasons I chose this volume is, first of all, you're introduced to Brother Blood, who is just an amazing villain. But more importantly, um, the second volume includes the Judas Contract, and the Judas Contract is widely acknowledged as the absolute defining point of what was a brilliant run mm. back in the early to mid-80s um, in the pre-crisis DC universe. Um it's this book covers uh, twenty issues plus annuals, so it's a it's a big read, and it will hurt your wrist while you're reading it. But what's really amazing is uh, two things. 
whilst there's a lot of action and adventure superhero antics going on in the story what drives the story is the characters and the interaction between them each and every member of the Teen Titans is a beautifully realized character and their relationships and the strength of their relationships to one another um, is really the selling point of the story. So beyond just the superhero antics, it's the fact that they're, they're friends, they're loved ones, they're re they really are a family, they bond together. Um, and yeah, that, 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 that drives these stories more than anything else. And that's what I love about this book. But um, it's also really fascinating to watch George Perez's artwork develop. Um, the master yeah and, and this is a, this this book is i think where he becomes the master mm. he was always a great a great artist and a great storyteller and you see that on his work in um avengers. on the earlier issues and in avengers and fantastic four before that but this is the book that bridges that early style yeah. and his crisis on infinite earth style so this yeah. is the book where he just becomes the you know the absolute master mm. comic artist um there's and the judas contract is an amazing story it really is. Um, all, all the hype that you've heard about the story is 100% accurate. Yeah, there's other, some other very key moments in this, especially um, for Batman fans. This is the story where Robin, uh, Dick Grayson, actually transitions into Nightwing. And the great thing about it is it's not just a costume change mm. that occurs here. It's a slow realisation that Dick Grayson has that he's not Robin anymore because Robin is the partner of Batman. Mm. Um, and he's becoming his own man. And really, that transition pretty much takes up almost the entire book. So it's a very slow 20-issue change that you see occurring in Dick Grayson. And it's not until the Judas contract that he actually adopts the Nightwing identity. But it's once again, it highlights the strength of the book, is this slow development of character. If there was one thing I would complain about in this book, um, there is actually an issue missing. Hmm. Um, and it's which is bizarre. It is bizarre because it's such a key issue. Um, it's the who is Donna Troy issue, yeah. which is a famous issue in and of itself. It's a beautifully written, beautifully illustrated story. But what annoys me more than anything else about the fact that that issue is missing is that it's actually also an a, a key issue in the development of Dick Grayson mm. and that decision that he makes to become Nightwing. Because in, in finding out the history of Donna Troy and in helping Donna then move on, he also then, it's reflective in himself. He then realises that now's the time when he can move on and he can become his own man. So the omission of that issue is actually quite annoying. Criminal. Um, oh, is that and did, they, did they give a reason why? Certainly not in the, not in the book, no. It's um, bizarre. I'm, I'm assuming that the book was so big and, and, and really given that the Judas Contract is the last story... Maybe they felt that that was more important to include all the issues of the Judas contract, but surely they could have just snuck that issue in because cause it is so important. Um, you know, I'm lucky because I also have the Who is Donna Troy trade paperback, which actually reprints that issue. So I was, I, I was able to sort of sneak that in yeah. as I was reading the book. But um, yeah, but this is, this is one of the absolute key series of the 80s and one of the key series in, in comic books. And yeah, I just absolutely love reading it hefty read but well worth it absolutely <laughs> I, was, I was I'm not as big a fan of Teen Titans as you are obviously but I just what I really loved about the series was that they in the way they interacted with each other I mean they yeah. were a family first and foremost and yeah. I mean unlike the JLA who are the heavy hitters of the DC universe mm. I mean they interacted but nowhere near as as much as the Teen Titans did no, so not on so a personal level on a personal level yeah it was, it's, it's very well done and the Judas contract is awesome
Okay, thank you, Richo. Moving on to mine, uh, I've decided to highlight the third volume of Casanova. Uh, Casanova is written by Matt Fraction and illustrated by Gabrielle Barr. Uh, so the third volume is Avarita, and it's the concluding uh, volume in the Casanova series. Uh, now the reason I've decided to go with the third one is because uh, it generally, it's only just come out uh, as trade uh, like about three weeks ago. Um, so it's fairly recent, and also because it basically just it resolves the entire story. Um, when I first read Casanova Volume 1, uh, I actually hated it. I really didn't like it at all. Um, but every review that I read said that it was genius, so I thought I'd give it another go in case I'd missed something, or <laughs> I was just I was just wrong, or whatever the case may be. So I thought, all right, I'll give it another shot. Why not? Um, and uh, the second time I read it, I loved it and hated it in equal measure. And it wasn't until I took a real hard look at myself until I realized why that was. Uh, the simple fact is that I was upset that I would never be good enough to write something as good as this. That's wow. basically what it was. Um, I, I mean, I, I consider, consider myself a writer as well, and uh, just I'm just not as good <laughs> as, as this story. And it, it's, it's, it's quite uh, ego-deflating, so that's why I hated it. And I loved it because it's awesome. Uh, so once I got over that, I was able to enjoy it, uh, its brilliance and um, have been a fan ever since. So uh, so that brings me to volume three. Um, so like I said, it's a culmination of Casanova's story. It just perfectly ends uh, the story of itself. So Casanova is um, a, a super spy, secret agent type person, I suppose you'd say, um, who works with a shady organisation. And uh, he's tasked with eliminating the the big bad, the the basically the um, the Lex Luthor of his universe, which who is Luther Desmond Diamond, who um, uh, is basically going to destroy the world. So he's sent to kill him, and so he's he has to assassinate him in multiple universes. So once again, it comes back to my multiple universe fascination. So he basically travels to all these universes and bumps this guy off, and eventually become because he doesn't know. Uh, Luther's real like secret identity um, they, they come to the drastic uh, conclusion that they should, might as well just wipe out the entire universe so Paul Casanova while he starts off as an incredibly arrogant quite horrible person <laughs> he, uh, he eventually becomes just mentally unstable based on the fact that he has to uh, annihilate entire universes there's all these innocent people dying just to get this one man and it really starts to mess with his head he eventually finds out who Luther Desmond Diamond is, and uh, the whole story just shifts from there. So I don't want to give it away. Uh, it's just it's 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 definitely worth a read. It's it's very interesting that the the decision that he comes to once he finds out exactly who his arch nemesis is, um, and then what how they proceed to go from there is is uh, is fascinating. It's uh, it's not an easy read. Um, I actually find that one of the uh, one of the things that I actually don't like about the story is the is the artwork. Um, now I. I I'm not saying it's bad. I just, for some reason, I just can't quite. I just, I just, it's, I find it hard to sort of understand what's going on on the page. So it's not really. A, it's the. It's not that it's bad, but it's a style that doesn't. Really yeah, it's just a style that I just can't quite get right. for some reason. So it's, I'm not. By no means am I saying it's bad. It's just I just. It's a highly stylized art. Yeah, it's very as well. Stylized. And I must admit, I actually find it quite appealing. Um, yeah. I, I, I often find myself leaning more towards the more stylized artists anyway. That's fine. And so, yeah, I actually find it quite a visually appealing looking book, and it's a very pretty looking book yeah. for me. Um, but I can understand how it's a style that might not appeal to a lot of people. Yeah. 
uh, but overall, in fact, but the, in fact, terms of the story, I just I just think it's brilliant. It's just uh, it's it, you need to you need to read it, reread it, and then reread it again, and sort of just get just all the nuances to it. It's just it's really amazing stuff. Um, in uh, volume three specifically, uh, my favorite bits were Charles Dickens cameo. Like I wrote great expectations. Deal with it. Brain stuff. Uh, the fight against uh, Luther Desmond Diamond version nine point one four, which is has this awesome Japanese sort of backdrop where they go at each other with swords and um, some innocent pandas get caught in the crossfire. Um, great, great stuff. Um, and uh, the dialogue, or actually the lack of dialogue, uh, in the fight on the sailing ship. Um, just the way they go about the way that sets that fight is staged is just is brilliant stuff and part of the reason why I hated it. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a great book. Check it out. Uh, this was volume three. Uh, there's only a two other volumes. Collect, uh, I'm sure it'll be collected as a, as a full package at some point, but at the moment it's, it's the individual three volumes um, from Icon. So genius. Well, that's enough from you, David, because I'm still in charge. Coming up next, David was fortunate enough to get some interviews at Oz Comic Con. So here are the interviews. Yay. Now, I do want to point out that these interviews were actually over the phone and uh, recorded off the speakerphone of my of my iPhone. So uh, not the greatest quality, but uh, they actually turned out okay. And so here they are. Up first, Mr. Armin Shimmerman, uh, best known, of course, as Quark from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Quark, yay! And uh, he's also been in a heap of other stuff. He's also a, quite an accomplished Shakespearean actor, and he's an author. Hello, David. Hello, uh, uh, Mr. Shimmerman. How are you going? Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't want to be presumptuous. <laughs> and how are you? How are you going with uh, uh, the trip to Australia so far? Uh, so far, it's been uh, relatively easy. I was on the plane this morning. It was about 16 hours, but uh, I slept through about 11 of them. So it was a relatively easy flight. The food was good. The seating was good, and I, the, I, the weather was much better than I expected. Yeah. I expected it to be very cold, and it was. It was a beautiful day. Excellent. In, uh, in Melbourne. Is this your first trip to Australia? Uh, it's not. It's my second. I don't think I've been here for about 10 years. Uh, the last time I was here, I had the good fortune to be in Melbourne and Sydney and uh, took a little vacation on Lizard Island. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Well, um, we've got limited time, so uh, if, we, if you don't mind, we'll get into it. Sure, um, it's, uh It really is a pleasure talking to you. I thank you very much for your time. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of your work, especially, of course, uh, your, your best-known roles, of course, would be uh, Quark on Star Trek and uh, Principal Snyder on Buffy. But uh, but your uh, your work, I mean, you've been in a in a heap of stuff. I mean, I was, I was I was doing some research on you before, and you've just been in a lot of stuff as well. You definitely seem to be one of those people where it's, it's like everything you watch, I and mean, you're in there somewhere. I'm somewhere in the background. <laughs> yes, uh, I've been very fortunate with my career. Yeah, it's it's been it's been an excellent career. Um, you also do a lot of voice work as well, which I was uh, I I, yeah. Um, you do you do uh, what? What have been some of your favorite uh, favorite roles, both acting and voice work? Well, certainly the two that you mentioned are, are primary, but also I do a lot of theater, and, and I I'm a huge uh, Shakespeare scholar, so um, I guess some of my favorite roles are from from the from the Shakespeare canon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for voiceover. Bioshock and uh, and Doctor Nefarious 
Yep. Those are radically different, and, and that's the kind of work I like to do. I like to be very different in all my roles, yep. and, and I make it hard for people to recognize who I am. Yeah, I, I, well, I definitely didn't know that you were um, nefarious. I, I think that's a, he's an excellent character, so I'm really glad that to, know that, to know that it's you. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a very high-energy role, uh, as opposed to Andrew Ryan, and uh, when I do it, we, we have to take a lot of breaks because it's just it's a lot of energy. <laughs> it's very uh, manic. We start at about a 12 and go to 15. Most people never get to 10. <laughs> very cool. Um, in the sh- you mentioned Shakespeare roles? Yes. Yeah, what, what are some of the roles you've played uh, in the Shakespeare canon? Well, I've done Claudius and Hamlet three times. I'm now in Macbeth, uh, even as we speak. I'm playing the character of Ross. I have done uh, Jacques and As You Like It, um, Richard III, Malvolio. Uh, I've done a lot of Shakespearean work. My primary reason to get into acting was to do classical work, to do Shakespearean work. And uh, I've had the good fortune to do, a, I think, somewhere between a third and half the canon. Some plays I've done two or three times. I'm, I'm currently writing a novel uh, about Twelfth Night as well. So uh, it's not just acting that I that, uh, that Shakespeare involves me. And also with teaching, I teach and direct Shakespeare as well. So I'm very much steeped in, in classical work. And what, what facet of Twelfth Night is the, is the book about? Well, uh... I've written three novels about a Elizabethan character named Dr. John D. Yep. And um, my fourth novel, uh, what I'm writing now, is also about John D. But uh, whereas the other ones are science fiction novels, this one is a period mystery, and it deals with um, historical characters from Elizabethan times, but also the characters from Twelfth Night. Oh, very cool. I'll definitely be checking that out. Um, you, I mean, we're talking about your acting before. I mean, you were fortunate that uh, your when your family moved to Los Angeles. I mean, you, did you ask to be enrolled in the drama group, or did you? Um... No, I was never involved in a drama group. My my background is uh, I was an English major. I studied Shakespeare in college, oh. and I uh, when I was in college, I assumed that I would become a, a Shakespearean actor. And I graduated from college and went directly to work for one of the more prestigious. Uh, Shakespeare companies in America, the San Diego Globe, nice. and uh, I had a good fortune to meet some wonderful actors there who all convinced me to move to New York, and so I left the Globe uh, after the season was over, and I moved to New York and uh, was blessed with uh, good fortune. I immediately uh, went into a Broadway show called Three Penny Opera, uh, which was done at Lincoln Center, and uh, I had the good fortune to work with Raul Julia and Richard Foreman was the director, and then I went on to do several more Broadway shows and other classical uh, themes and plays. Um, and eventually I was seduced by the dark side of the force. I came out to L.A. <laughs> for a little while. I thought it was yeah. going to be a little trip. I've been there now 30 years. <laughs> awesome. That's really cool. You've had, I mean, like we mentioned before, you've had many very varied roles, and you've gotten to work with a lot of people. Have you ever been starstruck yourself? I have. Uh, I once had the good fortune to meet Henry Fonda, and I was just rather gaga when I met him. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, I've worked with some wonderful actors. Some of them are still with us, some of them are gone. Uh, yeah. I must certainly point out Lynn Redgrave, yep. who uh, taught me a great deal about acting and about the theater and about how to behave in the theater, and a wonderful character actor who you may or may not know, his name is Phil Bosco, who uh, was my mentor in New York. And, and, and didn't teach me so much about acting, but how 
excellent advice. I, I, I would have been um, struck dumb with Lynn, Lynn Redgrave as well myself. Wow. Well, she was the salt of the earth, and, and we stayed friends uh, until she passed away. Yeah. So um, it's, a great, uh, it's a great loss to me and the world to lose Lynn Redgrave. Um, well, of course, I have to ask the obligatory uh, Star Trek-related questions, if you don't mind. Um, two hours. Takes two hours. By <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. How long does the makeup take? Yeah, um, yeah. it's uh, obviously they got it, they would have gotten it down to a science towards the end there. I mean, it's just, it would, it would, was well, it reduced uh, in time? Westerfield, it was my incredible makeup artist. Uh, it took her about uh, three months to get it down to two hours, and she never did much better than that. But that said, um, n- neither she nor I was ever in a hurry. Um, and thanks to her incredible work, um, my character was allowed to get just phenomenal close-ups that you couldn't do with the other actors' makeups because Karen's was so flawless. Yeah, it is. It was it was a brilliant job and an, an awesome character. Um, my favorite episode is uh, Little Green Men. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 just hilarious. <laughs> and, uh... Well, thank you, thank you. We had a great a great deal of fun doing yeah. it. Did you have any, Did you get to have any input into um, the character himself on sort of how his direction was going to go? I'm not in the direction that he was going to go. No, that was that was always up to the writer producers. I suppose the input that I did bring was that I made actors' choices along the way, and the writer-producers would see what I did in dailies and go, hmm, that's an interesting idea, why don't we do more of that? Excellent. So, um, but, but as far as, as suggesting where the character would go or where he would end up or what he would do, that was never, uh, never my way of doing things. Mm. I, I was... I was always much more interested in creating a three-dimensional character instead of a single-dimensional character. Quark, as you can imagine, when he started out, was was just really meant to be comic relief and nothing more than that, really. And he stayed that. But I I think I also gave him a humanity that perhaps the writers didn't envision when they first wrote the character. Oh, you definitely did. I mean, his friendship with... His sort of friendship conflict with Odo is a, a highlight of the series. Well, thank you. Yeah. But there, there are many, uh, many friendships. Certainly, uh, Odo and Quark is uh, is the number one one. But his relationship with with the Rom and his relationship with uh, with uh, Dax um, and some of the recurring characters, uh, I, I'm very proud of as well. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, I, I think we're getting to the end of our time. I, I, I do believe. It's uh, it's been an absolute honour once again to talk to you, Armin, and uh, I'll I'll look forward to meeting you at the sh- at the show itself. I'll be I'll be well, lined. Good. I hope you'll I hope you'll uh, stick out your hand and introduce yourself so I know who you are. Yeah, oh, definitely. Thank you very much for your time, Armin. My pleasure, David. See hey. you in a couple of days. Have a have a good have a good trip, and I'll see you at the show. Okay. Thank talk you. Bye bye. And so that was Armin, as he prefers to be known. Uh, I'll stop calling him Mr. Shimmerman. So next up is Miss Sharon Taylor, best known for Stargate Atlantis and Smallville. And she's also a black belt in in the martial arts. Well, don't mess with her. Don't mess with her at all, but she was lovely. So before we get to Sharon, I just want to point out that, as I mentioned earlier, this is uh, recorded uh, from a phone interview, and uh, I couldn't get the recorder started in time for the start of the actual interview. So it starts quite abruptly. There was uh, a, a bit of banter before the actual recording started but um that's fine so it, uh, don't be put off by the fact that it just jumps straight into the interview how are you enjoying melbourne so far 
actually, it's been really nice. It flew in this morning, so I'm like fingers crossed. I have no jet lag so far, and like this is the longest plane ride I've ever been on in my life because I've never flown this far before. So I was a little bit nervous flying for that long, but actually, it all went very smoothly, <laughs> and um, and I feel good. Walked around the city a bit today, and it's beautiful here. Did you get accosted by uh, any rabid fans? No, no, not at all. Actually, it's funny because I was actually walking around with Jason and Mama and uh, some of his group of friends, and nobody bothered us. Like nobody even uh, actually talks to us. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they're all very intimidating, perhaps. That's why. Well, I mean, you are uh, a karate, like a kickboxing champion, black belt. Yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> and Jason Momoa is not exactly small. No, I don't ever want to come across as intimidating. I just don't want to be. Well, you don't. I mean, you don't come across as intimidating in the actual uh, TV, TV shows that you're in. No. No, but in Jason Momoa is not exactly a small man. <laughs> no, no. If I if I wasn't at work and had seen you in the street, I would have come on, come run, running up for an autograph. Oh, thank you. Okay, <laughs> thank you. So, uh, is this your? Is, this is obviously your first time to Australia since you the, the, the long plane trip. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. First time. First time. First is time. It? And I added a few extra days onto my stay so that I can tour around a little bit. Excellent. So, obviously, you're, you're uh, best known for your role on Stargate Atlantis. That's right. Yeah. So, um, and you also you've also done some other stuff in uh, Smallville. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in season you... nine, I played um, Sarah's on the tenant, so like General Zod. Yeah. I ended up being his um, lover, also. I mean, I don't know if you if you watched Smallville at all, did you? Uh, yeah, no, I did. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just wondering yeah. how on how you found yeah, the role. I'm not giving anything away for you. No, for no, it, it was no spoiler alert of any kind. That's fine. Okay. Um, and did did you? It, I mean, you seem you just seem to have a uh, like a lot of fun in the roles that you play. I mean, I only know you from Atlantis and Smallville. I haven't seen you in. in uh, I didn't see the Supernatural episode that you're in, um, unfortunately. But I mean, you just seem to have a lot of a lot of energy and fun in the roles that you're in. Is that because of the characters that you're playing or is this what you try to bring to your roles? Well, I mean, hopefully it's a little bit of myself that, that, um, that you're, you're getting, like, that you're feeling mm. television set. But um, the, I was really, really um, proud of what I did on uh, Supernatural. Um, so you obviously, so you, have, you come from a theatre background as well as um, your martial arts background. Which came first? theater you know I wanted to be an actor ever since high school and right after high school I went into the university theater program uh, and then it wasn't until I graduated from university that I realized that I like well, always wanted to do martial arts too but I didn't have the time right when I was in full-time university exactly yeah and so I came away from university with a degree in English and a degree in theater but then I still decided to pursue the acting and then being an actor it's gave me free time to do uh, martial arts training and then because of that then I was able to work my way up to be a black belt so okay and then the producers of Atlantis decided to put uh, your your action skills to the test they did I was so happy about that like that was just a total random fluke I never at that point in my life I actually I never told anybody that I did martial arts or that I had a black belt I just that was something I was just kind of did for exercise and my own self discipline Mm -hmm. and then uh and then when um, producer Joe Malazzi asked one day what I do for fun in my free time, and I told him, and he was like, that's so interesting. So then next thing I know, they wrote that episode where I get to actually do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I did um, another web series uh, called Reese, Kingdom Falling. Yep. 
and they wrote a really great fight scene for, for me on that too that I absolutely loved. Uh, so you played Amara on Reese? That's right. Yeah. I played the evil empress. Uh, I definitely want to check that out. I, I haven't, I've seen some some uh, screen caps for it, but I haven't actually seen the show itself. But it just it's looks like a lot of fun. Tons of Stargate actors in it too. Yeah. Uh, my uh, my wife's actually a, a huge Stargate fan, and uh, um, so that's mainly why I've gotten to see <laughs> gotten to see you in action, as, as well as uh, Jason as well. It's just uh, she, yeah, she's a big big Stargate Stargate fan, and she's very excited to uh, to that you guys are down. Okay. Yep. Um, so just uh, let's let's go on to just the, some of the standard interview questions. Uh, um, did you ever get to keep any of the props from the shows? No. Um, I, I didn't. My character didn't really have any props on Atlantis, so no. I never asked for I never asked for anything after that. But on on Smallville, my character um, was a lieutenant in the Kandorian military, and so I had dog tags with it that spelled Feora in like Kandorian. Cool. So um, I mean, of course, it's made up. It was made up symbols and things like that. Yeah. But they were really cool, and I don't I can't remember if I asked or if the props master offered them to me, but like he totally like gave them to me on the download. I was just, I love it. I love it. They're like <laughs> these awesome dog tags that remind me of the character. So. That is awesome. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. what what's been what's been your favorite uh, your favorite part of your your job so far? So what the like your favorite things about acting? Because I get to be so many different. Um, facets of my of myself that I get to show the world. Because you know, in my everyday life, I try to just plug along and be a nice person and, and then when I get to play really evil dark characters uh, that's so much fun to explore, explore that <laughs> it, it's always fun to play the bad guy it, it or, is. or the bad girl fun, I can't go home to my husband and be a bitch I can't go home to my husband and be a bitch right? <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I can do it on TV <laughs> is he a martial artist as well? no not at all you can go home and be however you want then that's right, that's right. <laughs> Except he'd be happier if I was just a nice, just a nice chick, so I'll stick with the nice chick. <laughs> um, have you ever been starstruck? Starstruck? Yeah. Mm, no, not so much. Um, a lot of the people I've worked with, they're all so like, grounded and down to earth, so they don't, they don't ever make you feel weird or starstruck that way, but mm-hmm. um, I... I'm actually really hoping I get to meet Patrick Stewart this weekend because yeah. I think I might actually, actually would be starstruck by him. Oh, yeah. He's very impressive to me. Like, his career and, you know, his, his acting and all the shows he's done. Like, yeah. I'm very so, so hoping that would be absolutely awesome. I, I'm really looking forward to meeting him as well when I get his autograph. I mean, he is he is awesome. But uh, he, I mean, you get do you not just automatically get to meet everybody as well, like backstage and stuff? Um, I don't know how that's going to work. I oh, mean, okay. all the Stargate actors I've met already, like I've met already, and so mm. I kind of know everybody. Um, and then I've met a few people in the hallway just right now, like walking up and down, like in the hotel. Yeah. But I have not run into Patrick Stewart yet, and so I hope I do. <laughs> I hope I do. Yeah. Cool. So if you if you weren't doing uh, acting, which obviously you love so well, um, or martial arts, what other sort of things do you think you'd pursue? You know what I always thought, and the reason why I went to theater school and I came away with a degree in theater was because I thought um, I could always be a 
like a high school drama teacher because I found that my high school drama teacher inspired me so much. And it was like being the high school drama teacher was like having your own theater company and you had all these like young actors to mold and, and create like, yeah. great theater with and tell stories. So I kind of thought that that's kind of where I would go if, if the acting didn't work out for me. That's and then awesome. believe it or not, I actually, for a while, I, I wanted to be a police officer because <laughs> I like being so physical. Yep. I've always like worked out. I like the structure. Yeah. I like the structure. Have you ever played a police officer? No, isn't that funny? I've never played a police officer. That would be awesome. That's the one thing I thought I would like to actually be when I grow up. <laughs> yeah, start, start putting your name down for some uh, Law and Order episodes. Yeah, that's right. I should. I've, I've auditioned for lots of police officers. Oh. <laughs> somehow I don't. Get, I don't get those roles. I get like the evil, evil bad chick roles, which is totally fine with me too. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, cool. So because you're, you're an actor as well, what would be your favorite performance? Have you ever seen sort of performance uh, in a film or a, a TV show that you've actually thought, wow, that is, that's that's why I do what I do? In my own work? Um, uh, well, yep. I have like, in Reese, there's one line where I actually, I get goosebumps when I, I had goosebumps when I said it, and then I have goosebumps when I watch it. And I, I grab Patrick Gilmore from Stargate Universe, I grab him by the throat and I say, I say, do not forget that I am your empress. <laughs> when I said that, yep. I was like so in the moment and so so like it, I, I just felt so grounded in that line. And then when I watched it afterwards, I was like, wow, that is why that is why I'm an actor. <laughs> That's awesome. Who are some people that you think you would want to work with? Some sort of dream dream sort of roles. Yeah, you know, I would love to work with Jeff Bridges one day. Jeff the Bridges. A good actor, everything oh, yeah. he does. And I mean, in the Fisher King, he was amazing. Yep. And um, and last year, the Crazy Heart movie, yep. was just loved it. Loved yeah. it. I want to work with that guy one day. There's a magnificent performance. Yeah. I'm also I'm also a big fan of uh, the Big Lebowski. Yes. Yes. <laughs> me too. But I just I just get the strange feeling that uh, in his private moments, he basically is the dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would. I would not be shocked. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what would be your fa- your favorite fan moment? Has any any fans done any crazy stuff? You no, know, there is no. I have. Everybody has always been like so polite and so nice and sweet, and it's been a pleasure to meet people that appreciate that appreciate like the science fiction genre and that enjoy watching me in it. So I've like been humbled by the whole experience. That's why I, I actually enjoy doing the convention. Oh, that's awesome! That, that's that, that's and as a, speaking as a fan, that's that's basically all we really, really want. I mean, it's just this the chance. I mean, just the chance to talk to you now is just is so exciting that I'm just I'm stumbling over. I've got I've got written down questions. And I'm still stumbling over because it's just because we just I just really enjoy what you do. It's 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 just really really exciting. Well, thank you. I equally enjoy talking. I equally enjoy talking to you. <laughs> it's a win win situation for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'll definitely, I'll definitely try. Uh, when I uh, line up for your autograph, I'll, I'll mention myself. Oh, good. So, please. Hey. Now that I know it's you. I was the guy on the phone. So, is there anything? Right. Is there anything coming up for you? Just uh, in the future, any future roles we need to, we can look out for? Um, I, I've worked on a couple projects recently. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about them yet. But, no. And then um, one of them is a TV pilot for a show, but we're still hoping to see if it'll get picked up or not. So, yep. you know, one of those. Okay. One and of those in limbo situations. But in the meantime, just keep auditioning and working on 
whatever comes my way. Yeah. Well, good luck and uh, just good fortune with everything that you do in the future. And uh, I hope wish nothing but the best for you. Thank you very much for your time, Sharon. Okay, thank you, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. That was Sharon. She's awesome. Sounds like a nice lady. She, she does. I was very disappointed I didn't get to meet her at the show. To finish up, we have Mr. Francis Manipal, writer and artist on DC's The Flash. The Flash. Ah. Uh, <laughs> savior of the universe. No, different Flash. DC's The Flash. What's the difference? There's a big difference. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take it away, Francis. Hello. Hello, Francis. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am good, thank you. My name's David from uh, Nerd Culture Podcast. Awesome, nice to meet you. Thank you, nice to meet you. Um, we're really looking forward to meeting you at the show. Yeah, should be a good one. Yeah, are you, are you doing uh, sketches and stuff like that as well? Uh, yeah, I will be. Awesome, I'm getting a sketch. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, well, thank, you, thank you very much uh, for taking the time to talk to me. No problem, my pleasure. Obviously, uh, our, our fans will, and listeners will know you from uh, the new 52 The Flash as the writer-artist. Uh, so congrat- mm-hmm. congratulations on that. It's excellent. It's, it's a great series. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, doing really good. I mean, it's it's a hard uh, Jeff John's a hard act to follow, but you've uh, you've pulled it off. We definitely tried our best. <laughs> yeah, you're, de- you're definitely doing a good job. Um, but you also have a, a a career with Top Cow. I mean, uh, you, I think you did you get started with Top Cow on Witchblade, or did you have some titles before that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was actually um, my hopefully my second longest run on a, on a book I was on Witchblade for about 17 or 18 issues and I'm, I'm hoping to do more of The Flash yep. uh, with, with that sort of long run um, before The Flash I've also worked on Legion of Superheroes Superman Batman um, yep. and over at Top Cow I've worked on, uh, on a Witchblade of course Tomb Raider and Darkness yep. and uh, Necromancer was my last project over there Yep. Um, I've also done work for a French publisher uh, called uh, Del- Editions Delcor uh, on a book called uh, Seven Warriors. I've also worked on, uh, I guess as a, a, I guess as a TV presenter on a show called Beast Legends uh, that was on Discovery and History Channel. Yep. Is that is that going to continue on that TV show? <laughs> no, unfortunately <laughs> not. It's done. You know. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun, but uh, we went over budget every episode by quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> if you worked with uh, Jim Shooter on the Legion of Superheroes, mm-hmm. uh, did you co-create or you created the character of Gazelle? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, uh, Jim created him, and then I guess I, I designed her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, what's kind of funny is that the current Gazelle that that you eventually in print was actually a miscommunication you know uh, <laughs> right. Jim wrote that she was an alien but I guess she was supposed to look like a normal human being yep. and you know when I read on the description that she was an alien I made her more not, you know humanoid like rather than an actual human being and I think the irony of it is I think the, the fans responded quite well to that I think they liked the fact that there was um, you know, an actual alien-looking character on the book. It, it, it made the team look more uh, diversified, but I don't think that was the intent. Yeah. So in, in the latter half of the run, you could see her slowly looking more human-like. Yeah. And then, you know, I remember writing, you know, 
Jim, I was like, hey, Jim, you know, maybe, maybe it'll just, you know, her powers just adapt. Maybe she's starting to look more human since she's hanging out more on Earth. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know whether he took the note and actually used it. Uh, uh, I, that's a fair I reason. I it to him, but, you know, yeah. well, that was that. She's a great design and, and uh, obviously a, a loved character. I mean, I I agree with you. I mean, the Legion of Superheroes it's it's meant to be a universal type type comic. I mean, it spans the universe in its storylines, and yet all the members are all human. They're all like yeah, you yeah, know, Bible about America. Right here. there with you. Yeah. No, I I thought that that it, the team needed to look more like a, a very universal team, not not more Earth or you know, yeah. earthly looking. Policing the entire universe. Yeah, even Brady looks normal human, but just green. I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's kind of a cheat. Yeah. So it was. So it was a huge run on uh, Witchblade. Is uh, have you got any highlights from that run? Um, you know, I, I I really liked the the issues that had Toranoshi in it. I thought that we really pushed the action scenes on that. Yeah. Um, I was particularly proud of those issues because um, the the writer David Wall he really you know after the first few issues he started really trusting uh, my ability to tell a story. So I remember getting this script and it and it just says for eight pages it just says uh, fight scene make sure this guy loses again and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so for eight pages I choreographed the scene of how it was all gonna to happen and I found that really creatively fulfilling. Did you watch a lot of uh, action, martial arts action films to get inspiration? At, at that time, yeah. I was, yeah. I was really influenced by John Woo, so you definitely saw a lot of stuff flying around. In yeah, <laughs> you could definitely see some uh, hard-boiled in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Even, even uh, Michael Turner and uh, you could see that the influence from John Woo was there at the beginning of the book with a lot of the action that they were doing yeah and can we expect to see a sequel to Necromancer or the, the six issues series uh, that would be up to Top Cow I think <laughs> they tried to do a pilot season with it a while back um, right now I'm, I'm exclusive with DC so yeah. I, I I can't unfortunately I can't be part of anything outside of DC for the foreseeable future but what a way to be the exclusive. I mean, like I said before, I mean, The Flash is is, is doing really well in the sales, and uh, it's it's a great book to read. It's a lot of fun. Um, have you got any uh, long-term plans that you're hoping to stay on for? Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, we definitely, uh, my co-writer Brian Michelotto and I definitely have a, a long-term plan for the book. And, you know, I, I, I want to go out on a high note. I don't want to stay you know, too long and, you know, let people start hating the run. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, go out on top, I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, but what's most exciting about it is that this this character, has, has, I've, I've been such a fan of, of The Flash for a long time. It was actually the first character that I, I asked if I could draw him when I first talked to Dan. That was our, our very first conversation together with, hey, you want to come work for you know, it's like I would love to any chance I could draw the Flash, and That's the awesome. answer at that time was no. And you know, a few years later, here we are. So yeah, yeah. And is is he your favorite DC character? Oh yeah, absolutely. Wow. You know, when, I, when I was a kid, I, I grew up on on Mark Waid's uh, Flash run. You know, I yeah. really like 
um, Mike Ring was on that, and uh, um, Oscar Jimenez was on yeah. I think on the book it was three months back yeah. you know? every every comic uh, would be comic career industry person seems to have their favourite character that their dream character to work on you just, I mean, you're so lucky to get yours oh yeah absolutely every day I mean as, as much work as it is you know mm. um, penciling inking and, and writing the book it's, yeah. it's worth it you know I mean yeah. for a book that I don't own um I feel like I put in the same amount of hours I would do if it was a creator-owned book. Yeah. Um, I'm really, I'm really trying to put everything I got into it, and, and at, at times it could be a little bit overwhelming because you know I have years and years as a fan uh, of ideas that I want to try to put into the book. You know, so it's just constantly trying to to hold that back and and you know try to tell a a, a good cohesive story. Yeah. You know? What what I what I really appreciate is that you I mean you have so many parts of the jobs you I mean you're an artist writer inker and yet you still manage to get the book out on time whereas some some creators just can't oh, yeah. seem to get it out on you know, it's, it's or no they just do one beat, you know there's, there's definitely some uh, um you know physical yeah. hardships going through that but, well uh, I, again you know it was one of those things where this opportunity was. Such a, everything that I've been asking for uh, since I started my career is that there was no way I was going to screw it up. No. Okay. Um, so what uh, would be some uh, writers and artists that you admire yourself? Oh, there's, you know, there's so many names. Uh, I mean, I'll go through my influences, I guess, yep. when I was growing up. Uh, the, the guys that really got me into drawing comics in the first place were guys like Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri, Walter Tasho. Um, a lot of those guys from the early image era really got me into drawing comics. Um, and then as, as I was learning, guys that I started uh, feeling more of a, a connection with um, were guys like Mike Waringo, Yara, J. Scott Campbell. I really enjoyed that, that kind of fun so much out there there's 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 something for everyone oh absolutely yeah. absolutely there's some, there's some great stuff being produced like a buffet and, you know, yeah. putting more on my plate so what was the first comic you ever bought with your own money uh it was actually a, a Jim Lee X, Uncanny X-Men I can't remember the issue but on the cover it has Captain America Wolverine and Black Widow oh awesome issue yep yeah that was a great issue yeah that was great I, stuff I bought that 
three times because the first one I, I traced it and I was I remember trying to color match it with markers so I would actually draw with markers on the actual comic book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that, was, that was a fantastic issue. Okay, cool. Have you ever actually have you ever been starstruck? I mean, you just I mean, you just mentioned a whole bunch of people that you've that you've worked with. Have you ever met anybody where you just you were just too starstruck? Uh, I I still get starstruck occasionally. Yeah, <laughs> you were gonna yeah. say Ghibli. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of weird because yeah. you know um, we're cool now. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I remember when I was out for a party and having dinner with them, and it's great. But you know, I I know that if I talk to like you know uh, the forty year old me, he would just you know crap his pants. Yeah. I remember the first time I met him. I don't even remember what I said. I was so nervous. <laughs> yeah. I still get that way a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it would be um, it would be awesome. Yeah. And uh, as as close as I am with with uh, Jeff Johnson and, and the way we work. You know, yeah, I have so much respect for him that I, I, I do still get kind of nervous when I talk to him at times. You know, but, that's awesome. Uh, well, I mean, when you're a fan of the medium, these guys that you admire, you you kind of have this, this this feeling of admiration makes you kind of say stupid things. You know, <laughs> fair enough. Um, and uh, I mean, you're obviously living the dream with uh, your comic career at the moment. But if you couldn't, if you couldn't do this. What would you be doing? Uh, well, my last job before doing this was working at Auto Trader, so I'd probably still be there. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I did get promoted though just before I started doing comics. You know, from answering phones to taking photos of cars, so that wasn't too bad. You know, okay. but, uh, I you know I growing up in in the. 80s and 90s, I just remember, you know, when you're watching movies, there's always the, the cool job that's yeah. that's indicative of the time. Like, you know, right now, a lot of movies, you know, a lot of cool jobs are kind of like some kind of techie guy, you know, internet yeah. guy, yeah. right? But back then, advertising was the thing, and, you know, yeah. every time I watch these movies, these guys' job was in advertising, they're like walking around with these storyboards, and I thought to myself, you know what, if I can't do comics, I'll do that. Yeah, with the with the suits and the the thin ties and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So, is there um, other than the Flash? Is there anything coming up in the future for you? Not that you really um, have time. That's it for now. You know, I mean, it's 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 pretty. I'm pretty focused on the book, so yeah. I haven't really thought that far ahead in terms of what's coming after. Um, you know what? That's a lie. I've, I've thought about what I want to do afterwards. <laughs> you know, I think after the Flash, I want to. You know, I'm really looking forward to trying to do things in, in my own world and sort of create my own property and stuff like that. You know, and, and try to you know take my career into my own hands, so to speak. You know. Yep. So, but right now, that's still too far away to really. Uh, but, you know, well, maybe in the meantime. Flash for the future. Maybe in the meantime, you could sneak a Batman guest appearance in. We tried, okay. but it just doesn't fit in the story. Really? So. <laughs> we, we, we tried. You know, we're like, you know what? I bet you if we put that man in this, we'd sell more. But, you know, it doesn't fit the story. <laughs> Okay, cool. Uh, well, I just I really right. want I really want to thank you for your time, Francis. It's been a, an absolute pleasure talking to you. 
No problem. My yeah. pleasure. I'm really excited. I'll, I'll introduce myself at the show uh, on Saturday and so you, so you can see me in the flesh. <laughs> All right, man. Looking forward to meeting you. Um, awesome. Thank you very much for your time, Francis. Cool, man. Cool. You have a good night. All right, dude. See you later. Take care. Take care. And that was Francis Manipool. What an all-round nice guy. I actually got to meet him at the show and he was a legend. And he actually, and he seemed, I mean, he seemed genuinely pleased to sort of meet me in the flesh. It, uh, it was pretty damn exciting. So there you go. I hope you all enjoyed those interviews. I thought it was fantastic and well done, David. Nice scoop. <laughs> they were, they were lo- all lovely people. Up next, coming soon. So, coming soon. Uh, out on July 26, we have Safety Not Guaranteed. About three journalists who investigate a man who placed an ad looking for a time-travelling companion. Yeah, a bit of a darling of uh, the awards, sort of the, the indie circuit. Um, it's an interesting, I think it's a quite fascinating story, but uh, we'll not quite, reserve judgment. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what to make of it yet as a film from the trailers. It's And uh, then the week after that, on August the 2nd, we get uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yeah, from the director of Wanted, um, it's and Nightwatch. It doesn't doesn't look very good. <laughs> it looks like it's taking itself far too seriously. That's the problem with it. I, For I such agree. an absurd idea. That is, I think that's the the. I can't, I can't bring out the guy's name, but I think that's his major problem. Is that, I mean, Wanted isn't that very good a story to begin with. But no. if it had been far less serious, yeah. it would have been a bit more successful. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a bit of a Van Helsing vibe. From Abraham Lincoln, and uh, I've got to say, I really disliked. Yeah, the trailer, the trailer so, looks awful. Um, but Kemetov's problem is that he's actually not a story director; he's a visual director. Yeah. yeah. The problem with the Nightwatch films that you know they look kind of cool, but the story is quite trite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but even I mean, there's some of the stuff in the trailer for the Van, the, the I was going to say Van Housing, but the, the Abraham Lincoln trailer that looks okay, I suppose. Mm. But I just I'm not interested, and I, I've read the book and I didn't like it. Mm. And uh, also coming out on August the 2nd is David Cronenberg's latest film, Cosmopolis. Yeah, star- starring uh, R. Pats, <laughs> which, um, which for, from what I've heard, he does a, a great, great job. So I'm well, pretty, I'm pretty shocked amazing. to say. Good enough for Cronenberg to want to work with him again. Yeah. yeah. So there we have it. That's it for episode 29. And don't forget, you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast or tweet us at nerdculturecast. You can also leave a comment on any post on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Yay. Excellent. So for our next episode, I'm losing all of the power that I've had on this episode because not only is David taking control again, but uh, Crystal will be actually choosing the book for Dust Jacket. We'll be looking at Alien Influences by Christine Catherine Rush. And Crystal will be leading the discussion on that one. We'll also have a Channel Zero on Star Trek The Next Generation. And a roundtable discussion on what we consider to be the top five movie cliches. So thank you very much for putting up with me in charge for this episode. I know you'll think that I'm better than David because I just am. But for now, Ash. I'd like to say thank you, guys. Thank you, Luke. Yeah, I guess that's okay. And Crystal? It was too long! <laughs> and David? Soldier on, Luke Coulson, soldier on, soldier on. Thanks very much, guys. See you next episode.
Bye. Bye.